everybody, and welcome to episode two of the second season of the IMG podcast. Really pleased to have you with us again. We've got quite a big topic today, so um, we've got quite a bit to get through, so I might speak quickly. Um, as always, I'm joined by Richard Johnson, my co-founder. Hello. And um, today, we've got a couple of people with us today, so I'm going to quickly introduce them, and then I'm going to set this up as... Uh, like I said, quite a bit to cover. So um, first up, we've got uh, Camilla, who is currently working for the eComplete group, and she's also a member of our community. Hey, Camilla. Hello. And we are also joined um, by Alec Frusher. Hi, Alec. Hi there. Um, so Alec is from a slightly different world to the normal marketing world that we, we talk to here. Um, Alec is um, currently head of people for Sand Digital. Um, he's also worked in talent acquisition for BJSS, um, the Access Group and Experience. So um, I've got a HR person with us today. So what are we talking about today? So this is going to be a really interesting conversation. I, well, I hope it's going to be interesting. And I hope you agree. Um, but there's obviously been loads of news and um, changes in the world of work over the last two years. Um, and what we're going to talk about today is almost, is the battle for talent over or is it just getting started? So we've obviously had what was being called the great resignation through COVID. And recent labour force surveys found that resignations rose sharply from the end of 2020, significantly exceeding pre-pandemic levels. And then in Q3 of 2021, that was the highest level of resignation since Q1 of 2019. And then while Q1 of 2021 showed a bit of signs of slowing off, might be Christmas, um, but it still remained higher than the pre-pandemic level. So basically people just quit in their jobs. And I guess what's most interesting is that now, while wages seem to be climbing, employers are offering bonuses just to recruit staff, the labour market's actually smaller. So the ONS released some statistics that indicate that there are now actually half a million less people in the labour market than there were um, before the pandemic. So that means that the, the labour market shrunk by 2% in the first quarter of 2022, uh, which means that the country has actually done 11 million fewer working hours than it did at the start of 2020. So the market shrunk, um, which is actually contributing to inflation. Now, the Bank of England, this is a massive concern for, and actually the governor, Andrew Bailey, uh, he was um, given testimony saying that he expected that actually when the economy opened back up, people would go back to work um, and the sort of economy would get going again, but actually that hasn't happened. And the Resolution Foundation think tank, um, they have seen no evidence that the sort of pandemic induced inactivity is showing any signs of reversing. Obviously, you can then add on to the fact that there's 110,000 EU nationals um, in the first quarter of this year um, that aren't here versus 2019. And all of this is sort of combining to mean that unemployment in the UK is now at its lowest rate since 1974, which is sort of even before I was born, even before you were born, Rich, right? Um, and in terms of the people that have left the job market, maybe unsurprisingly on the surface of it, um, over half of those sort of half a million people were in the 50 to 64 age bracket. Um, but actually, those folk, they're not quite at retirement age. But what they're doing is they just, they've been in their jobs and they're not coming back. Um, 
and it's it's kind of interesting in terms of how people reevaluating what's important to them and where they want to spend their time and what they want to do with their time. And actually, uh, a study uh, in Microsoft's 2021 Work Trend Index also reported that uh, they surveyed 25,000 people. 74% of them said that the pandemic has made them consider their job or their career choices. And on LinkedIn's own podcast, um, they were talking about this and they, they sort of said that people have realized that life's too short to do a job you don't love or for a company that you don't think cares about you. So there's a lot of stuff going on. And that same LinkedIn research found that 41 people are considering leaving their jobs within the next year. So there's a whole heap of stuff going on. I haven't even mentioned the cost of living crisis. We've got flexible working, the four-day week. We've got Elon Musk's email that's demanded everybody go back to the office and how divisive that's been. So basically, in a nutshell, what on earth is going on? What has happened and what's going to happen in the future? Hopefully, this is going to be really interesting. And I'm really, really uh, keen to hear what people think. So, folks, last two years, what's it been like? Alec, I really want to start with you because we speak to a lot of marketers and I want to know what it's sure. like from a recruiter side, from an, a, you know, a HR person side. Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing to say is that, you know, really interesting stats that, that look at the labor market as a whole. I think clearly my, my lens just, just to, you know, thanks for the introduction, but is, is on primarily tech sector you know that's that's really the the full focus of uh my role at bgss which has been the most of my experience over that last couple of years um huge changes over probably each six months period over the last two years you know i think for example you saw some people who um when covid hit were on furlough or in businesses that they they seem to identify as higher risk at that time those people probably moved for under their market rate because you know they were thinking they were going to lose their job you know fast forward a year or less and the market is so buoyant in technology that you know companies may have hired people under market rate and then that rate has has risen you know companies even ones that you know are really great at trying to retain their people you know step up salaries through salary review processes can't then keep up with where the market has moved to over that period of time. So I think that is something um, that, that we have seen um, generally in the market. One of the things as well that um, is a big ongoing thing is that remote working uh, culture or, or you know, want that, that people have. Again, in technology, I think you know, we, we've been an industry that has adopted some of that already throughout our, our history because of the nature of our roles and have been able to do that and more so um, is something that people seem to want. Interestingly, one of the things that we're seeing is companies that have perhaps offered what, what they're terming remote contracts are then six months down the line saying, oh, actually, you know, come into London once every few weeks now. And, and you know, my view is, is that's, that's not really a remote role. You know, that's probably less of a remote role than perhaps I've offered as part of my organizations, but we call it a hybrid role. So I think one of the things that will be interesting to see, and I'm interested in other people's view, is, is how that develops, how much, you know, uh, to your point about the likes of Elon Musk, how much people stick to that, you know, as leaders or as, as a company culture. Um, but one important thing, which I think, doesn't get um, brought up very often is that nature of all of our roles being remote by definition due to COVID and more remote working generally, I think brings less engagement 
the employees have with their company that they're, they're, they're you know less connected to that company and those employees which then as a result means they perhaps move on quicker because they don't have um that that connection that they might have had if they're in the office so i think actually mm. what you're seeing is all those factors flowing through um as well as many of the others but you know i think we're still in such a position of, of seeing how that goes we're in the middle of it um and trying to work out what it what it all means um so i think it will be a while before we really you know understand where things are at what people really want people themselves think yeah i want remote working but i know people who then a, month, a year later have gone do you know what i miss an office i miss you know collaborating with colleagues in, in, in whatever yeah. way and i think you know it's this middle ground people don't want to be five days a week in an office that that has i think changed for for good as much as it possibly can but you know somewhere in between full remote and um in the office five days a week but i think people you know um are still working it out for themselves as well i don't i don't yeah. know where to begin on all of that yeah yeah, yeah. That you, you've touched on so many elements there um and i was jotting down while you were talking so one thing i've not considered loyalty in actual it's a lot easier to build about loyalty within a business when you're in and you're drinking the kool-aid but if you're remote business have to work a lot harder so actually yeah people always say don't me that um you know oh, i'm not you know i don't i won't miss necessarily miss the company i'll miss the people but it's harder to build up that rapport if you're working remotely what what do you do with that one thing you really touched on was um well i i think to summarize a lot of that is it still goes back to it's an employee's market here. They're demanding a lot more. And actually, one, one word I wrote down was control. And it was almost about, you were saying around um, some people don't want to work in the office, some people do want to work in the office. Previously, that was never a discussion. It was dictated by the, the company. I think now the individuals are controlling that conversation. You know, I, previous companies, if I wanted to work from home, I had to fill in a form and get that approved by HR. That's now an open conversation in the office. And, and one thing which hit me like a bullet of the conversations which I've had with many people in the past uh, over the last sort of six months is what's been offered today is not the reality now. So... Yes, I was told it could be fully remote. And now there's almost this underlying pressure. Can you come to that meeting on Monday? Or why don't you just come into the office on a Monday? And I've spoke to three or four or five people in the last sort of six months where they've actually resigned from that job, going back to control, own it, because what they were promised on day one has slowly sort of drifted away and gone back to a, we'd like you in the office more than more than more than not really sorry not what i signed up to what's um and what's your sort of observations then camilla over the last because you've gone through the the cycle right from employment to freelance back to employment yeah pretty much and it was definitely a roller coaster for me and i think everything every single thing that um all three of you have mentioned had an impact on me personally and people around me as well um you know for me, I, I went freelance in the middle of the pandemic, um, early days into my career as well. I had only, only was only two years after I left uni and I went freelance without contracts waiting for me too, without clients waiting for me with little savings. And I just went for it. And I never imagined that I would have done. Um, I think two things led to that for me. One is I experienced and I watched 
so many people around me, my, my flatmates, my friends, my colleagues, my family lose their jobs, jobs that seemed so secure, you know, people who were, you know, starting off really great careers and, you know, very often like as young people were told that there's risk of like losing your job if you do something bad or, you know, becoming redundant. Very often we've seen it around people sort of higher up, people who are older, like that's that's what we were used to seeing um, in terms of redundancies and, and things like that. And next thing you know, every single one of my friends lost their job in that same within like those six months I was even going to leave the company I was at to another job and I lost my job offer when I was three weeks into my notice period and had to beg the company to let me stay um the company I didn't want to stay at and you know all of that came from COVID but also not directly just from COVID some of it just came from other things that tumbled down because of what was happening with COVID and I watched all of that and I think that resu resulted in two things sort of lack of lack of fear and lack of loyalty that that's what it resulted for me with because one I had to face that fear I watched every single one around me suddenly face that way fear of being jobless that used to seem like the worst thing in the world something that would crumble down and just like that's hitting rock bottom not having a job lined up not having that security and we were all forced to see it even if every single person at least maybe in this country uh, with, with COVID happening you were either faced with it yourself or you watch someone close to you someone you know go through that you know go through either losing your job or losing your hours or something similar to that and you know when you once you face that fear suddenly you realize it's not the end of the world because we were forced to go through it suddenly the idea of not having that exact job lined up not having like that security that paycheck it was you know it's still risky but we realized so many of us lived through it and we survived and we learned from it and then the other part was loyalty Richard as, as you mentioned as well um loyal like the company I was with um working before I went freelance they they had a lot of perks in the office we had parties and prosecco and you know all sorts of different things but actually the culture was really toxic and when we were all working from home suddenly we realized that without all those things we didn't you know nothing was covering our eyes from from everything that was actually going in the company there was nothing to distract us from there that they did in the office and you know at the same time watching everyone around me sort of losing their jobs you know I sort of realized you know why that that loyalty isn't there with, within me with my friends anymore because we just realized that you know working for employers isn't secure anymore and they could drop you very very quickly and many companies did even companies who ended up coming on top of covid and making even more profits um a lot of those profits started off first with you know letting people go and yeah so that that loyalty just disappeared so you know take those two and suddenly i don't know i felt fearless you know i felt like mm. everything turned around for me um yeah and yeah, you know, whilst I was freelance, I, I had the opportunity to go back full time. And, you know, I actually ended up choosing to stay freelance because I felt like I needed I needed to be in control of that. And like you said, I did actually come full circle. I'm in a permanent role now. And funnily enough, it's it's a role that actually, you know, I didn't expect I'd go for. It's a five day role. It's actually makes less money than I made freelance but it's it just gave me the flexibility that I wanted and the only reason I think I actually considered full-time rather than freelance is because the system just wasn't ready for me to be freelance you know I struggled to apply for um you know I struggled to apply for like uh, 
apartments and things like that and that's that's what was made really difficult for me but I knew as soon as I started looking for a full-time role that the most important thing for me was that control like you said and being able to know and now I work remotely I have a team under me of people living in all sorts of different countries an international team and I have flexibility and I think that's what's important for me yeah uh, so <clears throat> really interesting and I think some of the points you made there are really insightful Camilla and so Richard and I were talking earlier today and there's a few bits and bobs in there I just want to pick up on so I, th I think it's really interesting that you highlighted the culture thing because I think you know the classic free fruit Wednesday you know ping pong table Alec you'll know this right working in the tech sector right this is standard sort of perks but does when like you say Camilla when you're not actually in the office to enjoy those um, benefits is there any culture at all and, and then you just go well I could just be doing this for anybody or from anywhere for more uh, money I was just looking through actually um because I, I I've seen a stat and I found it now that basically that's it one of the reasons we I think Hayes did a study and they quoted bamboo HR and they talked about when when people went remote they had it was in their own home then and then actually they had time to think and without all of that camaraderie and that office kind of environment, as it were, they realised they just didn't actually like the job and it was being masked by everything going in. And that contributed to people just going, do you know what? No, you talk about fear, Camilla. It, it, you lost that fear and you went, do you know what? Yeah, I'm done. I'm going to resign. And it, and it clearly happened to that. And again, one thing which I, I wrote down as well, talking about that, what we've got to remember as well is, COVID was massive. So a lot of things happen after a life-changing event. So for argument's sake, that if you, you know, if, if somebody, God forbid, close to you dies or whatever, and they haven't, you know, they die young or whatever that looks like, they don't make retirement, those, those people around them, and that, that kind of circle is generally quite small, they have that sort of light bulb moment where they go, I need to make a change, I need to go to the gym or to get fit, or I need to do this. They have that real moment of self-reflection. This wasn't a localised issue. This was COVID. This was global. So it's almost like instead of, you know, 10,000 people going through it on any one day, there was a whole world going through these life-changing moments. And, yeah, it just makes people think differently. Have you seen that, Alec, in terms of the requests or demands that people want, need, expect? have they radically changed or has it become slightly more narrow in terms of just paying me more money yeah you're right i think um there has been a shift in uh priority i think some of those those perks um as we talk about you know um have have fallen down the list i think um interestingly um so there's a um so i'm, I'm based in nottingham there's a great tech community in nottingham through through tech nottingham and you know there's a lot of chat on there about various things and i think you know the second um most important thing is is pension and i think that's always an important thing but i think that's probably gone up the list which is an interesting thing i don't you know and because and, camilla was talking about risk and and you know th there's two ways of looking at that there's a way of looking at it that says some individuals will be thinking okay cost of living you know is going up therefore security is the most important thing with with a role potentially however you know we're talking about a sector where you know is hugely in demand we're talking about fairly highly paid people compared to average and 
you know, people look at it the other way, which is, okay, if I move and it doesn't work out, I can walk into another job with no problems whatsoever. So I can take a risk. So it's really interesting mix of, uh, you know, individuals who have slightly different perspectives. But I think we are seeing people taking those risks because the market is so buoyant and because to Rich's point earlier, they feel they have the control, you know, whereas previously, even in markets that still, you know, were niche roles, et cetera, I think people were a little bit more risk uh, risk averse. Um, but we're certainly seeing salaries um, going up. One of the things talking about being a Midlands-based uh, talent acquisition um, specialist is that you know organizations that are let's say London companies are saying okay well we can offer remote we can go and speak to people in Nottingham let's say on a Nottingham salary that would traditionally be a very good salary for Nottingham but we can offer them less than we'd have to do in London but still quite a bit more than you know that traditional good Nottingham salary so that's what we're definitely seeing you know from organization you know the organization i've worked with the last couple of years there have been several people that have have moved on to that type of role and seen a significant salary increase because of that and i think that's one thing you could see changing isn't it is actually you know london waiting or whatever it was called before where roles in london used to get paid more because that took into into consideration the commute and the cost of living down in london actually now you're, you're exactly right and when we used to recruit Dave you used to have your Nottingham office you'd have a 30 mile radius where that's really where nobody's going to do more than that well right now I could get the best person may live in Ipswich but it's no longer an issue if your if your business is is flexible I'm going to ask you a question Camilla actually because you talk again going back to risk do you feel more secure now in your full-time job than you did being a freelancer you know what? I don't see a difference. Um, like I said, there's a, there's a, there were a few small reasons why, you know, it, uh, it's maybe a better opportunity, maybe for right now or for like a specific moment in time. Like I said, something as silly as applying for an apartment or something like that. But no, because I just realised that, that either way, that, that risk exists, I think, like risk of, of losing your role. I Like I said, I watched so many people losing their roles and I don't really see that much that much of a difference and at the same time I after being freelance and after you know working with so many different clients and so I realized that you know as what um as what's been said earlier that people realize that even if they don't find something you can probably just walk into a role even if it's not your ideal role and especially with the way that the you know everything is right now you sort of you know you start seeing that there's so many roles out there and obviously if there's if there's a labor shortage um it almost makes you know, makes it feel like we're in control, right? We're in control to be able to, to lose a job, leave a job, change a job. And then even if it doesn't work out, we'll find one. It almost seems like um, that opportunity is out there. And with risk as well, um, I think it's really important, maybe, at least for me, a big factor was that I don't have any commitments. So when I went freelance and when I've been changing jobs and, and sort of, you know, choosing between jobs I didn't have to think about kids I didn't have to think about a mortgage I didn't have to think about a partner nothing was even keeping me where I am sort of location wise and I think a lot of people from my generation are a bit similar because we all know I, I don't really have the stats on this but obviously we were aware that people are having kids later or, or less people you know for cultural reasons sort of changing culture but also changing you know economy we you know, people my age, we don't really get mortgages. We're not capable of it. And maybe that came with like a silver lining that because of that, we don't have those commitments to worry about right now. 
Mm. I think the question, yeah, and I agree with all that. And I think, I think the, the, the more sort of in, lasered into that, Dave and I often talk about this, is the fact that a notice period traditionally has, has provided that comfort to people. It's almost like, oh, I'm on a month's notice, I'm on three months notice. But actually what, what COVID I think did was proved that if the company needs to get rid of you, that, that notice period is irrelevant in, for want of a better way. You're no more secure with a notice period than you are freelance. And I guess that was my the question I was getting to. And, and it's great you don't feel any difference because I think that ultimately is, is right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a really good point. Um, you know, we used to have a lot of conversations with our friends when we were signing new contracts, you know, for, for new jobs, you know, what's your notice period like? And now we don't even, we don't even, we're not even concerned about that because we realise that's, that's something that a lot of companies have waived in the past. And yeah, like you said, it's no different at this point than if you were freelance. It's just as risky, you know, those, that, that client or that company can stay with you or they can get rid of you, I guess. And I should point out, obviously, legally, notice periods are paid, but it, but it does, you don't have to work them. But lead equally, yeah, it is kind of you could be walk into a building t- today and be out of that building today. Yes, paid up, but it's not it's not a security blanket. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But is that is and again, this may be because of the sort of where the market is at the moment. Obviously, there's an abund- there's an abundance of jobs and there's a demand for talent, so it, it almost feels. Uh, like if it didn't work out wherever for whatever reason you could just go and go and get another job which we know is not always easy for everybody in every sector or every situation but do you think that just because of the nature of what the market's been like over the last couple of years in particular and you know because you're relatively young in your career um, is that a factor and I guess Alec are you seeing more of a similar sort of attitude amongst folk that you're recruiting in the last sort of two three years versus what it was like before when there were less opportunities and more people around? Um, I, I don't think I, I am sort of seeing that or it's not it's not clear, you know, pattern or, or, or you know, hard to drill down onto that, I guess, and, and, and see. I mean, one thing that is sort of related to that that is interesting is because, you know, there's a, a such a war for talent or again, you know, to use some terminology that you might have seen out there is companies you know taking a less rigorous approach to assessing people and equally whether people are getting the opportunity to see what they're getting themselves into because when you know there's such competition out there you know as a talent acquisition leader we get told hey i'm interviewing four other jobs um this other company i came in and they offered me a job on the same day you know, they may have met one person, you know, I've worked at places that, you know, we want to try and do a a rigorous process to make sure it's right for the candidate and right for us. But, you know, that, you know, creates, uh, you know, a a longer process, which creates the risk that they're going to get a job elsewhere in the meantime. So some companies are really shortening their process to be as lean as possible. But my question is, is, yeah, are they getting a, a robust decision on whether this person is right for them. And, and then on the flip side, is that person seeing enough of that organization, the people they might be working with to make a really informed decision? Um, so I think that's, you know, a, a challenge for the, for the industry at the moment to get the right balance, because as talent acquisition folks, you know, we're at the mercy of uh, whatever targets that we have and, and are trying to, you know, strike that right balance. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm interested in other people's thoughts on, on that we- as well. 
we see that in our business. So basically what we do is we provide talent to organisations and we find that the nimble businesses who act quickly get the talent. We've been through numerous sort of um, conversations where we've said, you know, for argument's sake, Camilla's amazing, you know, have a conversation with Camilla. If they dilly-dally on that conversation and it takes one or two weeks to organise it, and then they come back and go, oh, yeah, yeah, can we see Camilla like next week? No, she's gone elsewhere. And, 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 and that happens more than people think. And, yeah, it's almost, yeah, well, you said war on talent, shortage of talent. I don't know what it is, but there is, there is people are trying to hire the best people more so than ever now, without a doubt. And it's tough. And I think you've got to be quick, but you've got to have the right checks and balances in. Agile mm. is the word that's it from two years yeah. ago. You've got to be agile. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, one thing I will say is, you know, I'm amazed and you talk about control, but I'm amazed at how things have shifted. So, for example, you know, when organizations um, aren't great at providing feedback or don't provide any feedback, understandably, that gets called out. You see social media posts and and those type of things and and Glassdoor and, and, and services like that. What I've found in the last year is that, you know, let's say someone has a final interview today um and you get a call an hour before and go oh, i accepted a job yesterday you know or, or or they don't attend the interview and then you call them and say what happened i accepted a job yesterday you know that's not something that you in the same way that you would put on social media to call out a candidate but but if a company did that you'd say what, what what's going on but but that yeah. for me is 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 a you know that happens so much more and and is it is an indicator of that shift um in, in control as per the first sort of conversation so it, I, i'm amazed that that does happen surprisingly regularly yeah yeah. So, so I think it, it, there's anecdotal evidence then, right, that this is definitely an employee's market at the moment. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm interested to look back on sort of salaries because we started to get into it a little bit. And then because I think, David, you mentioned at the start around, you know, access to more data around that type of thing. And I, I do definitely see that people understand their value uh, in the market a lot more through those mm. tools like Glassdoor uh, or whatever salaries that they might see. I think people do their research more, um, you know, and yeah, really do know their value, which again, is a, is a generally, I think a good thing um, because, you know, um, people should, but that definitely has also been a shift for me. So um, I don't know if other people have found that as well. So, so Alec, are you, are you, I'm not expecting to give confidential, confidential information away, but are you, because Dave, Dave and I had this conversation earlier on today, Obviously, a lot of businesses work on bench um, sort of ranges and we'll pay between this and this to get, to get the talent in. Are you finding you're moving higher up those quartiles now? So let's random numbers. A role pays between 50 and 80. And previously, you could, I'll use the term getaway, you could be lower quartiles and paying 50 to 60 grand for this role now. Are you finding pre-pandemic you're moving up those quartiles and having to pay more for the same or, or not? Um, I would say broadly, yes. The, the organisations that I've, I, I work at now and, and most recently actually um, are consultancy organisations and um, we've had quite a sort of a, a, a flat structure. So we don't have levels, junior, senior, etc. So um, we take a slightly different view of it and, and you know, bands aren't quite as, um, you know, we don't have salary bands in the same sort of way. But yeah, in terms of have things change in terms of needing to pay 
more yeah I, I think that's true you know I think the the market factors we discussed um clearly inflation uh, cost of living people are, are doing that but I think they just know their value more probably have a few conversations they realize that hey you know I, I can go out there and um you know continue my interview process and, and see and and again talking about control I think you know not too many but we see candidates essentially accept an offer and then continue interviewing elsewhere. You know, that's probably always happened, but it's probably even more common now because they think, oh, you know, well, I'll see, I'll see what offer I can get elsewhere, you know, maybe play people off against the other. Not something that happens regularly, but definitely more so than I experienced at other times in my career hiring people. Mm. And do you think we ultimately get to a position where the businesses with the deepest pockets will get the best talent? I mean, that's probably always been the case anyway, right? But yeah, I think it's an interesting question. Um, I think, you know, people who are the ones that are going to go for the role, looking at it from a monetary basis, again, as a business, you know, if someone, if we offer someone a role um, and they want to really negotiate and are playing hardball, we genuinely question, okay, even if we think we have some room to manoeuvre, are they the right person for our business, for our culture, because of the way that, we're interacting with them through this negotiation process or whatever you might seem because you know that that that's really important you know you start to think okay well if they're this motivated purely by the bottom line do they care about what we are as a business what we're doing as a business are they going to be here x amount of time and and you know you start asking yourself those questions and you start asking yourself those questions throughout the process so i think it's it, it's really interesting i mean um you know, there are some businesses that do enter markets that I've worked in and, you know, deliberately position themselves as we're new, we're going to be paying you more than the local uh, competitors. And, and they do okay out of that. Uh, and I think, you know, th that combined with a shift of people's priorities being more to the bottom line means they've been a bit more successful than historically, you know, mm. um, but but I, I think in some respects, it's really early to say we're, we're still in the middle of this. You know, I'm a, I'm a data led person. You've had some really good statistics at the start. But, uh, you know, I think as Richard said, you know, three months and these these statistics are out of date. It, it's moving so fast. That's the other thing. Everything is yeah. moving faster than before in terms of the dip with covid in terms of the uplift after covid and now the you know still going um in, in the direction that it is so i think things are just moving so fast it's hard for employers to keep up um you know a, a, as a people leader as well involved in some of those conversations about uplifting people's salary based on you know um performance time at the organization and it's really hard to keep up um with, with, with the market because you know as, as people know you know there's a budgeting process you set this aside and then you know six months later inflation is x amount and and you know it's really challenging to um you know add that on top of what you already had, had planned for um you know again richard's comment earlier about agility i think that means agility is more important than ever mm. I, uh, and i guess yeah go on rich no no i was gonna say it's um I think you're right about the stats. So I think we, we've got stats obviously we show post-COVID post increased resignation, increased again. Would you the next set of results now? I think what you what you will probably see, in my opinion, rather than fact, um, is that they'll go down again. Because I, I, I think there's a general unease or uncertainty in the UK now that nobody really knows what's going on. And I think, to coin a phrase, someone else's phrase, 
The only certainty right now is uncertainty in the fact that, you know, you know, diesel prices highest ever, you know, energy price cap looking to top three grand a year in terms of their energy by sort of January next year. I think in times of uncertainty, people almost, I don't want to say revert to type, but they go back to what they know. And I think there's a, there's probably, whilst people want to, you know, use that, use our sort of business, business model, they want to freelance. I think there's an attractiveness to employment now because it feels safer. And I think you will see that resignation dipping and people probably doing not what they want to do in their sort of heart, but their head is saying, grab as much certainty as you can. And therefore, full time is is what we know is certain. Mm. I think one thing that is interesting is um, HR departments, leaders in organisations that I've uh, conversed with recently, their sort of default is to say, okay, attrition's going up. How do we invest in, you know, retention? What can we do? And it, and it you know, understandably has become very sort of reactive. Um, and, and it, you know, my perspective and my take on it is, you know, people need to accept that there is going to be a level of higher attrition. And, and actually, you know, they're looking too short term in what can we do to retain people? And, and, and actually, it would be better off investing longer term or investing in continued talent attraction strategy or, or, or a longer term sort of, you know, uh, culture view and learning and development. But I think uh, understandably businesses are panicking and going, okay, what can we do now to, to, to help retention? And I don't think they can do anything. I think we're, we're, we're in this position where, you know, the market is what it is. And so many people are looking, will find, you know, opportunities that have a, have a bigger bottom line. Um, and I think that's a real challenge for the you know industries as a whole and and you know of course leaders um particularly do you think that's generational as well so so in terms of like with the millennials coming through my my kind of you know my parents sort of ethos was you know job for life getting a good job with a good pension staying in for 40 years and i couldn't think of anything worse than being the same company for 40 years whereas camilla's already touched about it touched on it it's almost like you know i'm i'm as free as i can be and, and, you know, I'll put the words into sort of Camilla's mouth for her. It's almost like, well, what's the worst that can happen? I've lived through a pandemic where millions have died. It's like, if I quit and I don't have a job or I take this job and I'm not sure it's quite right, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely a long-term trend that has been accelerated, exacerbated by some of these, you know, uh, market conditions that, that we've seen, you know, and, and I think as well, Clearly, the types of roles, again, I talk about, you know, the tech industry and sector, um, you know, we've seen shorter tenure pre-COVID over the last five years anyway in roles because, you know, they're still quite in demand roles now more than ever. But even pre-COVID, you know, the type of people that we were hiring were, you know, starting to work with cloud technologies and, and those types of things were so in demand anyway that we're seeing shorter tenures um, from, from that perspective. So, yeah, I think long long-term trend anyway you know, and, and even more so um, with some of the sort of recent developments. In terms of attracting talent, we've discussed some two key things, right? We've discussed like the the flexibility and, and remote working and we discussed salary. These seem to be sort of two key things that, that companies touch upon to attract new talent or retain new talent. Um, and I was wondering, Alec, from your perspective, do you find that companies are more likely to 
go one way than the other, like more likely to offer remote working than increase his salary or more likely to increase his salary than remote working? Um, no, I don't. I, I think uh, the big challenge is a lot of them are doing both, you know, remote working and um, attractive salaries. Um, you know, companies I've worked for are really striving to get a balance between, as I say, what we are calling hybrid working um, and creating a, a culture and environment in which people do, um, you know, create a connection with in a way, as well as providing them the flexibility uh, that's required. And again, you know, I think flexibility with hybrid working is very almost close to remote working, but it it's not a situation where you're going to have a home-based contract it's like hey you can work how you want to work but this is your local office and this is your base technically um so that's how companies i've worked with have primarily approached it um and again I, I, it'd be interesting to see the reality of people who have been working remotely for a prolonged period of time how they feel in six months a year's time how you know um yeah how they how they feel about that social aspects of, of, of their life. I think, you know, there's going to be a mix of, of, of opinions on, on, on that. I'm interested, I guess, Camilla, in your example of um, an organization that did a lot of social things, parties, etc. Um, you know, you reflected on that in, in a certain way. Do you think there is still a place for that from your perspective in, in, in the future, depending on how things go? I think it really is mixed and maybe it's going to be very divided between different type of people. Um, my um, my good friend still works for that same company and I know they are back in the office now um, five days a week. And, you know, she's quite happy to be in the office. So she's quite more productive in the office. Whereas I've also heard of many people leaving because of it. And it's such a divided opinion that um, I wonder if, you know, if there's going to be almost like a divide between companies. These are you companies that are more, more focused on remote these are more companies that are focused on sort of going in the office and it's gonna you know come up with a very divided strategy of attracting that those specific candidates or are companies gonna you know come in and actually let people decide how they want to work and, and you know and focus more on that yeah I'm, I'm not sure how that's going to turn out actually well I think really that's the thing though isn't it like these debates are, are typically either or and actually so you, you take a HR policy it's pretty black and white in terms of we do this, we do that, do whatever. I think you, you're going to have to allow people, if you're going to get the right mix of talent, allow people to work how they want to work. And and I, I wouldn't work well in an office at all. You might work brilliant in an office. The two can work together, together, whereas normally you have a work from home policy or in an office, Elon Musk, everyone back in the office. Well, that's a very polarised view compared to, you know, Deloitte's going, everyone work from home. You're not going to get the best out of your workforce with those two black and white strategies. It needs to be a hybrid. Is that a, uh, yeah. And it's really interesting because um, in, in my work for, for BGSS, we're a company that were very social in that respect and, you know, have, I guess the word we would use is, is you know, encouraged people but without any you know um need to, to come back into office and quite a lot of people have done but then a lot of practicalities that you didn't think about present themselves so for example let if to richard's point you get a a, a mix and say hey look it's it's down to you we get a lot of people coming to the office that before would have collaborated in the office and now they're on video calls all day because the other people they're collaborating with are working from home which is one sort of slightly defeating the purpose of that social aspect to come into office and two 
present some practicalities around the space that you have in the office because you know what BGSS were looking at around the time that I've just moved on is you know things like okay well do we have space for people to take video calls because previously there were so fewer people doing that that we haven't set up our office in order to do and then that takes time so so there's lots of these sort of sort of micro things that that are change have changing that understandably people hadn't considered and, and are still in that sort of journey um yeah i think there's a big watch out as well sorry david i'll keep jumping there's a big watch out on working from home as well because i think we talked about this on a previous podcast with uh, Ross, is that technology's been there for ages. And actually, but what it's done is that you've brought your office into the home and you have to be quite militant about turning off and turning on um, because, you know, your mobile phone's always been there and you can access it, but it, there's no, some employees see that as there's no excuse anymore. You're at home, you've got your mobile. I was just looking at some stats here. Microsoft are saying that, um, the average team user is, is sending 42% more chats after traditional working hours now. And it's, is that a good or a bad thing? It depends. But I think you've really got to be careful with that working from home that it doesn't become, um, yeah, this, this real, it takes over your life more so than the commute ever did. But I think there's, I'm going to try and sort of join all of this together and sort of I'm conscious of time, but I think the one thing that resonates to me that you mentioned, Alec, and also that you mentioned, Camilla, is culture. And I think the, the real driver of what the future will look like, because you know, like you say, we're right in the middle of this right now. It's a very dynamic sort of environment. But I think businesses have got a hell of a lot of um, changes to make in terms of what their culture is, what they want their culture to be, how they want people to act, how they want them to interact with each other. And I think, you know, I I had a LinkedIn post removed because I called out um, Elon Musk's email as um, not particularly good. However, having reflected on it for the last two days, and in fact, I saw somebody else commenting on it, was that that's the culture that um, Elon Musk wants to create at Tesla because he's got a bunch of people on the shop floor. They can't do their jobs from anywhere else. So he wants everybody in their places working together collaboratively as a team to build and deliver and create these things. And if you've got half the workforce on the shop floor and half the workforce sort of working from home or working from remote locations, then he's not able to create a culture of sort of, you know, that we're all in this together and we're all working to a common goal. So his what I thought was a how he worded it was probably a bit brusque and a bit sort of um, draconian, but it comes back to culture in terms of the culture that he wants to create in that business. And that's his choice, right? And if you want to work in a business that has got that culture, then that's your choice. And if you don't, that's your choice too. And I think that's probably where we're going to end up getting to in terms of this is what it's like to work for this business. And, and Alec, I guess your role in that sort of people world is going to be a lot about this is who we are, this is what we do, and this is how we operate. Are you on the bus? Oh, and by the way, you know, because all of the sort of transactional stuff in terms of how much you're going to get paid, what's your pension, all of that stuff just becomes sort of academic in terms of you want to get paid 50 grand here or do you want to walk out the door and go next door and get paid 50 grand there? It's, it's all the same, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say... Uh my my views on uh Elon Musk aside trying to put them aside um you know he's got a luxury of such a a, 
a brand uh, that, you know, other organizations would suffer more with their leader perhaps saying that and, and really struggle to attract talent. But, you know, the brand probably means uh, they can. I, you know, I, 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 I think one thing that leaders, especially in industries where, you know, you talk about the shop floor and it perhaps being different is, you know, look at productivity over COVID, over people having to work from home. My understanding and looking at the, the statistics. Your audio, uh, Alec, your audio has gone really weird. Technology. Uh, there you go. That sounds a bit better. Rich, you're on mute. <laughs> this is all collapsing. There you go. Right, here we go. I'll back <laughs> off you now. I've said I'll pick a while it sorts sort his audio out. I'm on um, my back. I don't disagree with you about cultures driving that, but... And it, and it happens, I was talking to somebody I used to work with, and their view was, we can't have a work from home policy because we build stuff. So if you imagine like Toyota shop floor, we build cars, and it causes a great amount of conflict between what you would traditionally call back office staff, marketing, sales, finance, and the people on the shop floor. If they're allowed to work from home, but they can't. I think at some point though, it doesn't have to be, again, why does it have to be a black and white conversation? Why does it have to be a unified approach? You clearly cannot have a Toyota production plant in your front office, but that's the job you've signed. Have that, have that difficult conversation. But if you want to make the culture work, then why can't you have different policies for different roles? Just like you have different pay scales for different roles, just like you have different benefits for different roles. It's just a new iteration of the perks or benefits which come with a role. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I can certainly see that. I think it, it's interesting in terms of the data, whether I think there might be a view that that would breed resentment of management from people who are having to come into the office. You know, I think that might be something that's there. I think, um, sorry, I think I might have got, got cut off, but the, the point I was making, I think, was, um, you know, looking at productivity over COVID and when people had to work from home my industry or my understanding of the analytics has been it was better than productivity when people were all in the office therefore you know leaders who are going people need to come back into the office there's really very little data that suggests that is necessary um based on you know uh, having worked through covid yeah it's going to be interesting and on the productivity last question so four day week People's thoughts. Obviously, the UK has just entered a pilot. Seventy thousand businesses taking part, I think. Um, trial in a four-day week, and I guess still early days. There's no data. Some pilots, I think they've done some pilots in Iceland, maybe Spain. I'm not sure, but it's still early days. Views on the four-day week, folks. How's that going to work? Doesn't the pilot though also do four days on five days wage as well so there's no drop in wage because that was the, that was the original conversation where it was almost like we'll do you four days but you're only going to get paid for four days which then people are like well i'm not going to drop 10 grand a year for for four days um personally um i'll be very honest with it now um i think i've had people work compressed hours and i've not noticed any drop off I think in reality, sometimes they do log back on on that Friday just to clear a bit off if they want to. There should be no pressure on that. Um, ultimately, I think you can find 
many ways within an office to lose a day of productivity anyway. Dave, we've been there. Breakfast Fridays, let's all go and have a full fry <laughs> between nine and ten. That's an hour gone of that day. I, I think, yeah, I, I don't see why it, it wouldn't it wouldn't work. Yeah, um, interestingly, actually, Richard, you said, you know, a lot of people probably won't um, accept lower wage. Personally, I would. Um, I would happily drop 10 grand to work four days a week. Um, maybe I wouldn't save that 10 years from now. Obviously, you know, I'm young, no mortgage, as I mentioned. Um, but I, I actually, you know, I used that for negotiation when I was looking at, you know, going back full time. And, you know, I, I mentioned that in, you know, some, some businesses weren't ready for it. Some were, some, you know, some even were discussing the idea of keeping the same wage but I think in terms of a four-day week as you mentioned you know maybe this is like a chance for for businesses to rethink and review like the efficiency of our tasks how much do we focus on our, our jobs how how much time do we spend on tasks that aren't aren't bringing us any results in the first place and you know with a four-day week a lot of companies I think and a lot of people tend to see it as like a stigma around you know do we just want like a, a weekend to you know, just to be lazy when really in reality, one, it's always obviously all about work-life balance. We realized how much it's important for us to build relationships with people around us and how important that is for our own mental well-being and for our own productivity. But also for me, when when I did um a four-day week, um I to me, I used the the other day to work on myself, my development, my interests. I did courses, I worked on um things that helped me become better at what I do when I do work those four days um at a job. And to me, that was that was priceless. That, that was really important to me. And it's still really important to me. That's why I have to take that cup, you know. Mm. I, I think in some respects it's similar to the remote in-office debate in that um you know, okay, let's say you have a mix of some people that are working five days a week and some people that are working four days a week. Is that achievable uh, or should everyone work four days a week? Because when you've got five days a week, is there a meeting that someone's going to miss out on? You know, are people going to resent the other people? You know, there's all of these things. I think one of the things to, you know, and perhaps it's down to individuals and and their ability to manage this, but I I know people who've worked part-time, who work, you know, X amount of days a week and, they yeah end up doing compressed hours even though they're not meant to <laughs> you know they're, they're working longer because their work commitments um mean that they they feel they need to do more in order to keep up and and that's for the business to manage and the businesses need to really be better at that in order to provide a, an environment uh, to do that um you know interestingly i think there, there is a shift you know a, a friend of mine who's um in his early 30s he, he started working three days a week from requesting it to his employer, you know, one of the former employers that I worked at, you know, I think, again, a previous generation, it'd be unheard of almost for someone in their 30s to go, hey, can I do three days a week, um, you know, but but they're doing that. And, and, you know, I think it's great that people have the option and that businesses do support that. Um, but I think it would be a long journey to see wider adoption of, of, of a four day week, potentially. Mm. And I, but I think ultimately it comes down to outputs, right? So again, if you're going <clears> to <throat> pay somebody full salary and they're going to work four days, you still want, you want a hundred, you get a paid hundred percent salary, you want hundred percent outputs, which I mean, you know, this is, we've been banging this flipping drum for years in terms of measuring me on outputs, not on the time I'm sat at my desk spinning around, or like you say, Rich, having a full up, full Friday fry up. Um, you know, it's, it's not about presenteeism, right? It's about what, what, 
what you deliver. And I think it's it's really, you know, it's just a mind shift because as much as we say, you know, measure us on outputs, we charge our folk on a day rate. And you know, it's kind of, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. There's a whole sort of shift in how we all need to operate and how we need to think about stuff. But I think, you know, Camilla, the point you made is absolutely right. And we have this conversation with, with clients in terms of, we need somebody five days a week, um, but we don't have the budget. We can't afford that person for that. We'll have them for four days. And they're kind of, we've had that conversation number of times and they've ended up with the right person for that within budget for that uh, that amount of time. And then they get the outputs that they want. So it's, yeah, we're still on the on the journey. Um, I think, yeah, I think good that, yeah, I think that's also linked to, you know, a more inclusive and diverse, you know, uh, workforce in a lot of respects because you know um I, I say before i work in sort of consultancy and we have challenges because we have end clients around you know part-time and those sort of things so um you know i think four-day week and, and just a, a greater flexibility of mindset and the ability to offer that type of thing will be good for people from different backgrounds you know people returning from maternity leave for example um and those type of things that that traditionally have perhaps you know struggled to um you know get into that next level of role or be able to balance what life and work commitment so it, it could open up a, a new sort of market of of, of labor and, and people mm. getting into things that, that wouldn't which i think is a great thing and i think should be um supported but you know i i thought it, we might get there through more flexibility of our current working arrangements than more of a formal sort of four-day week um mm. but it'd be really interesting to see how it goes and i guess the points you know when we open this around the, the fall in employment market or the, the amount of the labor market it's just less people right so you've got to you can get more done by having more people that would traditionally be excluded you know working part-time working day or two a week um get those people back involved that works around the other things that they want to do whether whatever that is whether it's childcare, looking after family or whatever um yeah there's all sorts of ways that actually you can supplement shortfall potentially in capacity with flexible work and different sort of modes of working yeah good stuff right that was really an excellent conversation i could spend you know hours talking about that um so i really hope you've enjoyed it it was great to have you all on board i really appreciate your time and thank you um really insightful uh really valuable as always um we'll have another one coming up soon uh stay tuned for that if you'd like to find out some more about us then pay a visit to our website theimgroup.co.uk and if you are a kick-ass marketing superstar and you want to join us as one of our community members then go to theimgroup.co.uk slash join uh, and say hello and we would love to have a chat with you thank you very much everyone for coming along really appreciate your time thanks for joining and we'll catch you all in the next one cheers